0: So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Episode 281 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Robin Via. Robin lives in Kansas City, Kansas, for now. Um, She is a retired Spanish teacher who is moving her entire family to Spain. When this podcast comes out in February, she'll be a month away from her Spanish adventures. So welcome, Robin.
1: Thank you so much, Jen. I'm so excited. I've listened to every I Have Story in your podcast series. I've learned so much, and it's just sustained me through my journey, and I'm just so excited now to get to share my own story.
0: Well, I'm so glad. I love doing the podcast, and sometimes it's just so weird to think about everybody who's listening and hearing everything. Y'all meet somebody for the first time face-to-face, and they like know all these things about me. I'm like, that's a little strange. (laughs) I have a lot of things out there in the universe, but it's just so much fun to to look back over the years. And I had a chance to catch up with Lynn, who was episode two recently here. She was in in town, staying at the hotel four blocks from my house, and she came over and sat on my porch with me. And it was so much fun to reflect on all these years of episodes. But anyway, it's really nice to officially meet you today. Even though you know everything about me, I'm going to learn a lot of things about you.
1: Yes, I'm looking forward to
0: it. So, you know, I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that?
1: And, like a lot of people, I feel like I have to go back in time to start that story. (laughs) And mine, I unfortunately feel it goes way, way, way back to, you know, my early years, fourth, fifth grade, when as a girl you start to put on weight. And, you know, whether or not, My family really thought something about that. I know that my grandmother did, because one of my earliest memories is my grandmother offering to pay a dollar for every pound I lost.
0: Oh, bless her heart. She meant so well, didn't she?
1: And she was, you know, she was a super thin woman and just had long thing and fingers and all of her features so delicate and dainty. And, you know, I just didn't inherit those genes. I got the other side of the family, but I earned that $5 for that first five pound weight loss probably every single summer, the same five pounds over and over again, you know? And early on, I can remember my mom always, I thought all moms went to Weight Watchers, actually. I thought all moms sold Tupperware, got Avon, and went to Weight Watchers. Oh,
0: Avon. My grandmama, Calhoun, was the biggest Avon person in the world. Every Christmas, I would get that bubble bath in the pink
1: bottle. Did you have that? We had that and all of the perfume roll-on things. That looked like like little statuettes. Oh, absolutely, with the tops that you would <laughs> yes. take off, yes. Uh-huh. So I just thought that that's what moms did was, you know, they sold Avon and went to Weight Watchers, and so I just kind of fell right into that same thinking of all I need to do is control my calories and control my exercise and do something and so that became very early on my journey of weight control and it was easy when you were young but I know by the time I was in high school I thought I was heavy but of course compared to other people because I was never super super thin but looking back now you know I was at a normal weight. Do you remember about what you weighed about at that time? I think I
0: was like 135. And how tall are you? Five five. Yeah, see, you're my height. That is, that's a legit weight. I never paid attention to my weight in high school because I, I did not start gaining weight until after puberty. And I was always super, super skinny. But I can remember like when it, the first time it hit me, I was a freshman in, in college, believe it or not. And I had some friends who were going and working out, doing a bunch of aerobics. And they're like, yeah, we weigh 135 pounds. And I'm like, wait, is that a lot? I mean, I didn't, didn't even have like a, a frame of reference for that. But 135 is a healthy weight for 5'5". Five five.
1: Well, I wish I hadn't had a frame of reference, but I feel like I never did not have a frame of reference.
0: I think it took me a while to develop it because I was so, so skinny for... I was like scrawny until finally, after going through puberty and went to college and I gained the freshman 15 in college. But up until then, I never had to struggle. I'd already always watched it, which of course laid the foundation for me, but it wasn't a struggle for me until until that freshman year of college.
1: I knew I kind of always struggled with my weight and I wasn't super confident with where I was at. But after my senior year, I graduated high school. I went abroad as an exchange student to Argentina for a year. And I know over the summer I gained some weight. And when I landed in Argentina, I really felt my weight in a different way because they were just much more body conscious and I realized my eating habits were just really off. We are just so used to making everything about food, everything about eating, every activity involves food. And I was suddenly in a culture where food wasn't everything the same way it is here. And also, I would have just these desires to eat and eat and eat. And I couldn't necessarily do that around people because I would be seen. It was almost like looking at yourself from the outside for the first time in so many ways because you're in a new culture, new language. But especially with my eating, I really saw myself in a different way. And I think I recognized that I had an eating issue at that time. Well,
0: you know, it makes a lot of sense because we're a similar age, right? Yes, I'm 51. Okay, I'm 53. I thought we were similar. And looking back, I mean, food was just like, you always had snacks everywhere, all the time, snacks. And I mean, we eat walking down the street. We eat in our cars. Of course, when we were little, we didn't have cup holders in the cars, did we? But we do now. But I can imagine how weird that must be to go to a culture where they're not like that.
1: Right. You didn't take snacks to school you know you had your three meals and it really breakfast is almost a non meal it's very very light if anything in argentina in argentina and then lunch is so much later and it wasn't at school we came home from school and then ate about 1 or 2 and it was our big meal of the day and then at night you had leftovers from your lunch and it was just very light and here i was used to having sweets with every single meal starting with breakfast and there, you had sweets. Honestly, the strangest thing, because it as an American perspective, maybe once a month, you would have, you know, something that was truly what we would consider a dessert. You know, fruit, yogurt, coffee, that was the typical to end your meal. So, you know, I had my own money, so I, and we had a kiosk downstairs, and I would find myself going and purchasing those items and taking them to my room and binging or just eating on those things almost as, you know, an outlet of comfort. Yeah, I think a little bit of comfort. You know, I know I'd had the binge eating issues before, but definitely in Argentina, it felt like I was recognizing them more, like, ooh, Yeah, this is something. I think it also probably,
0: just from a pattern I've seen with people, you know, myself when I've overeaten, but when you feel like you have to hide your eating, that's when it turns into more likely to be binge eating because you're like secretly doing it. You were in your room, you're doing it as a secret, you had to eat it really fast. And I feel like that those two things are linked sometimes. Would you say that's true?
1: Yeah, I think that's when I really became aware of it. Before, I don't feel like I had to hide the fact that I was eating quite a bit. But in Argentina, I felt like I did. And eventually, I didn't need that anymore. And I ended up in Argentina losing all the way down to 125. And I know when I first entered Argentina, I think I had gained up to maybe 150-something. I'd put on some weight before the summer before and just very naturally, almost with just kind of falling into their eating
0: patterns. Now, did they have like a big nap after lunch? I'm just, I know that in a lot of the cultures they do. Did they?
1: Well, some people do. And so when I was in a smaller town, definitely that was more part of the culture than in. The capital Buenos Aires, they're much less likely to have a time where everyone shuts down. But definitely everyone comes together for lunch, eats lunch, and then has, you know, all the shops are closed or has a break or, you know, people don't go out and do much until about four o'clock and then things reemerge. I tried the siesta and found out I'm not good at that either. I tend to over, I sleep way too long, way too deep. And so now I have a no siesta rule for myself in general. I never nap because I just don't do it well. It never works that well for me.
0: I used to need a nap when I would get home from teaching when I was an all-day eater, frequent eater. I needed a nap after school, but I can't even think of the last time I've had a nap unless I was sick.
1: Yeah, if I do a nap, it's very infrequent. But I was able to just, yeah, naturally falling into the patterns. I came back from Argentina and weighed 125, maybe even 120, the thinnest I've ever been in my life. But I knew coming back to the U.S., I was not going to be able to maintain that. Like I wanted to so desperately. But from the minute I got off the plane and we had a celebratory Robin's home lunch at Olive Garden, I just knew like this is not going to go well for me. And they have unlimited
0: bread and salad at the Olive Garden. Welcome back to America. Exactly. <laughs> it's
1: a salad. <laughs> yeah. well, and just all of the, the desserts and the treats. And it just, you know, that is an everyday occurrence. And it just wasn't an everyday occurrence in Argentina. I went running to Weight Watchers, weighed in at 142. So I'd already started, because I knew I was starting to gain some weight. Every point in my life, I know exactly what I weighed. (laughs) That's so sad. I hate that, but it's so true. But I weighed in at 142 and they kind of looked at me like, what are you doing here? You don't need need to be here. And I'm thinking, but I do because it's all going to come back. And I was so right. It just was inevitable. I couldn't stop it. You know, I went from 142 to my first year of college, getting up into the 170s to in the blink of an eye. 240. I mean, it went that quickly where maybe I might've hit a set point around 200 and then that set point changed to 210 and then eventually up to 240. And I tried maybe one crazy program, but the truth is those were too expensive for me. What was that crazy program? Oh, one where you had shakes and um, you had to measure your ketones and you had to buy their stuff. Slim, maybe it was slim, like a slim fast or slim for life type of program, but it didn't last long because I was a poor, broke college student. I was working, it was taking everything I could just to pay for that, and it really was not sustainable or fun or. Anything.
0: No, those programs never are.
1: (laughs) But Weight Watchers was more financially doable. You know, I could pay weekly, it wasn't as much, I could get a student rate. So I did that all through college. I feel like most of my life I've been on Weight Watchers or on and off and then up and down. And I was very successful at losing weight. I always knew how to lose weight, but I couldn't always get low again to where I was back down to, you know, that 135 pound range. So you were yo-yoing, you would go down a bit, but then
0: back up and then down and back up, but never quite as down as you wanted to be. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for clean eating, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, responsibly sourced proteins, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that fit in beautifully to my cleanish lifestyle and the food is totally window-worthy. Tonight, we're having barbecue sweet potato tacos with cabbage and carrot slaw, black beans, corn, and cheesy tortillas and they come with Green Chef's chimichurri sauce
1: Yeah, my down after I bridged, you know, getting over 170, 175, and then up into the 200s, my low would be like 180. And I couldn't get any lower. I think I did at one point get to 160, but that didn't last very long. You know, and that was with Weight Watchers. So I never was able to get down. And then all of a sudden, in 2009, I was able to. It was like, I don't know how, I don't know why, but I was able to, with diet and exercise, I lost all the way back down. I lost to 160. I had a body lift and got rid of the excess skin. And then I went all the way down to one thirty, one twenty five, like no problem at all. And you don't know what was different that time. I really, truly don't. You know, I had certain rules for myself that might've been fasting-ish, like I didn't eat after 6 p.m., but I ate, you know, I felt like I needed to eat to keep my metabolism going. So I had breakfast, a snack, lunch, a snack, and dinner finished by six, you know. So it wasn't like my eating window would have been really, really short and I was including snacks. So I really cannot say how at the age of 30 something, I was able to get down so low. You probably were eating it
0: all within about 10 hours. If you started with breakfast, probably around eight or something, or even seven. So you were eating within 10 or 11 hours, I would bet.
1: True. But I had done that at other times.
0: And we were ready, I guess, to do it at that time. But
1: it didn't last. I lost all of that weight within less than a year. And Then I met my now husband, we got married and I was like, oh no, here it goes again. You know, like I'm not going to be able to stop it. And I knew. And sure enough, I gained it all back. We got pregnant on our honeymoon. So I was right away at the age of 38 pregnant and started gaining weight through my pregnancy. And once I'm pregnant, it's like, yeah, forget it. Like I know I'm going to gain weight when I get pregnant, there's nothing I can do to stop it. So sure enough, I went way back up into the upper 200s. And then right after her, I had another child a couple years later. Of course, you know, you add more body weight on because you never lost the weight from the first pregnancy. And, you know, so I would stay, my range was around 180, would be my lows and 260s would be my high. And I was just up and down on Weight Watchers, off Weight Watchers. And that is just how I remember those years. And when you look at the pictures, you know, you can see the pictures of me as the kids come along and I was losing, but then I would gain. And and so that was just my cycle.
0: And I bet you can look at every picture and you know about what you weighed. You remember the clothes that you wore at that point, that specific wardrobe, and they didn't fit you later because you you were they were too big or too small, but something. And I look back at those pictures, you know, like like the football game that I went to with Chad and the boys, and I'm like, yep, that I weighed blah, blah, blah. Those pants were size 10. I mean, I just remember It took up so much mental space, didn't it?
1: It did. And I crystal clear can tell you exactly what I weighed, exactly what size I was in. And I had all of those pieces. So my wardrobe went from a size six from 2009 when I had miraculously lost the weight to a size probably 26 would have been my high. And I had all of those ranges of clothing and I used two closets and I had kind of the, I just couldn't let go of the skinnier stuff. And some of the skinnier stuff I had folded and put away. And I, there were times I was like, you know, just get rid of it because it's never ever going to happen. But I just couldn't. And it was always this desire of just really w- wanting to be back there, but never being able to get there. And just desperation. I really felt like the only way I would have true freedom was when I died and passed away and didn't have to think about it anymore.
0: Oh my gosh. Isn't that so heartbreaking to look back on that and think that that's how it felt, but it's, that just struck me as soon as you said it, we're not supposed to struggle this hard with weight our whole life. Are we?
1: I cannot tell you how it is sad to think that that's truly how I felt that the only way to have the, the freedom, the release is just my time will end on this earth and then I'll be done with that struggle. I really didn't think I could ever have a time living that I wouldn't have a struggle. And when I started gaining all the weight back, the binge eating really came back in. And finally, I want to say it was 2010 maybe, 2011. Well, would have been after my daughter and son were born. So 2014 perhaps, I finally diagnosed myself with binge eating disorder and found a specialist and started counseling specifically for that disorder with an eating disorder counselor. And I'm still with her. I see her oh, every oh week. Yes, I see her weekly. I have never stopped. And I think just saying it out loud, acknowledging it was kind of the one of my first steps. But I feel like Intermittent fasting has helped me really start to heal the binge eating.
0: I love that you're working with a counselor still. And we, you know, you've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again just in case people haven't heard me say it. You know, if if you have a diagnosed eating disorder and you've worked with a counselor before, whether it's binge eating disorder, whether it's anorexia, bulimia, whatever it might be, intermittent fasting is not recommended to go on your own. If, if you've been diagnosed with an eating disorder, work with your counselor as appropriate for you. So I just wanted to get that out there.
1: And I think of all of the three of those, having the binge eating disorder is the least worrisome to pair with IF. Everyone was worried because I'm such a type A personality that maybe I would become anorexic. And I'm like, yeah, there's no problem with that. There's not even a problem that I would become bulimic. If I was going to do that, I would have done that long before. But while IF didn't cure my binge eating because I still have moments, it has given me a calmness that nothing else could bring and a way for me to to just be less less anxious about food and just kind of um, trusting the process. So let me go back to, I was probably about getting into the 260s at my high. I was, if I was low, I was in the 180s. I lost my mom in 2018 when I was at a low of like 180 (laughs) and was holding on and then, and held on for a little bit, But in trying to help my dad, who lived five hours away and spending a lot of weekends with him, I could feel it slipping away again. Just, you know, the having to, when she was sick and then helping my dad afterwards, I would leave work on a Friday, go for the weekend, come back on a Monday. You know, my husband's taking care of the kids. I'm trying to still teach and maintain a career, but also help them. I was packing up my food. That was just a big stress of I'd take a huge cooler of food down. I'd prepare my own food. I was trying to stay with it during my mom's illness. And then, after she passed away, I was still just white knuckling all of that, continuing to help my dad. And so I was back up to two sixty by the time the pandemic rolls around. And at that time, I should have been on a plane with students to Spain when the whole world shut down. And my dad falls ill, goes into the hospital at that same time, and he needed someone to be at the house when he came home from the hospital. And so I said, you know, I can do this. We're gonna, we're not going, I knew we weren't going back. <laughs> I knew we were going to be virtual. And so I told my sister, I'll go. I can do everything virtual. I'll take the kids i you know, so I had basically my dad straight from the hospital, two kids in a house during the pandemic. Five hours tra- away from where you lived. Yep. Trying to teach virtually. I was department chair of our modern language department. So trying to do that job as well. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life.
0: I cannot even imagine. I remember talking to my friends that were teachers at that time and It was a lot more work than when you were in the classroom. I don't think people realized how much more work virtual teaching was than when you were just at the school and then you left the school.
1: Well, and you were trying to design something that was meaningful, but at the same time knowing
0: that this is not. And you got your own kids there, right, too. So you're like... It's like having your kids in your classroom all the time, your own children.
1: Honestly, I had to let something go and I just let my kids just kind of go. <laughs> they hey, were I just kind of, you know, it's like, go to your rooms, be quiet because I have a, you know, a video conference. Try to learn I, something. Yes. I was having <laughs> interviews as department chair. There were things I had to, I had meetings, you know, I needed them to be quiet. And then I had my dad on the other side of the wall, you know, like tap on the wall if you need me and... And he needed a lot more care than even we realized when I went. I thought it was going to be temporary to get him back on his feet. And we realized very quickly it wasn't. He needed someone full time. The nursing homes were shutting down. All of that. I couldn't put him into a nursing home. So I decided that I would retire and take care of him. And he was not very happy about that decision. He did not want me there. He didn't think he needed the care, but he very much did. And so we kind of shifted. My husband took our son and he stayed in Missouri with him. I stayed with my dad and brought my daughter to Oklahoma with me. So we were a divided household. While, yes, I was retired. Finally, once we got past May, you know, I was caring full time for him and my daughter was then doing a virtual school program. So I had her program to help her with and take care of my dad. And then my dad's habits of fast food, even though he was a dialysis patient, he was doing home dialysis. He had been widowed and was only, he did not cook. He was only eating fast food. I came in and kind of took the place of my mom and created all the comfort foods for him. Plus you're stuck at home. What else is there to do? Supplementing Veronica's curriculum with food Was a great way to extend social studies and science and anything else you can think of. And it feels like
0: love to prepare these comfort foods for your family, right?
1: I needed to do it and he needed it. And my daughter, like we all needed that. And it just was the way I embodied my mom as well. She was a great cook. And my dad would say, you're the only one who can cook like her. And the fact that I could bring him a little bit of happiness in all of this, it was just a natural fit. And it was just going to happen that we were going to all just be eating ourselves silly. What was interesting was during that time that I was eating so much, I was not binging. I was way over eat. like there's a difference between overeating and binging.
0: Would you say it has to do almost with like willpower with the binging like you would you would have like I'm not going to eat 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 and then binge versus here you are with your dad and you were giving yourself permission?
1: Perhaps. You know, that's one of the questions that comes out in counseling like what is it that makes you start a binge? What is it that's a trigger for you? Why does it happen? That curiosity piece that I've tried to be better about, kind of stepping back from a binge and saying, huh, why am I doing this? So perhaps, I know that when I do binge, a lot of times it's a almost like an anesthetic. It, it makes me numb. And when I'm able to step back and acknowledge when it's happening in the moment, I do feel like I'm almost whether like as if I would taken a drug or w- had consumed alcohol and felt inebriated. It's that same feeling of numbness. And maybe because I was so in the anxiety of caregiving and just getting through a day and that I was just eating all the time and just overeating, that I didn't need that. I did not have binges during that whole time. But I was definitely eating so much that my weight was way into the 260s. So I had gone with to be with him in March of 2020. By 2021, January of 2021, I was in a bad way. I know I was in the 260s. And my blood pressure one night, because my dad had all of the medical stuff there. So I was like, yeah, let's see what my blood pressure is. Thinking, you know, it's going to be low like it generally is. I'd never have had blood pressure issues. And they say you can't tell if you have hypertension. And I was like, well, you know, surely I would know. I would feel something. Right. I would feel like you would feel something, but no. No. I put the blood pressure cuff on and it was 200 over 100. And I was like, "Surely not." My dad was Yeah, my dad was like, "What did it say?" And I was like, "200 over 100." And he was like, "Do it again." And I kept getting the same kinds of readings and I was like, "Okay, I'm going to go meditate for 10 minutes and I'm going to come back." And you know, I think I got it to the 180s, you know, 189 or something. It it was high. And it was consistently high and i think that goes along with caregiving it's really the most difficult job there is
0: yeah especially when it's your parents and you know because that role reversal is not easy
1: it was very much a struggle for my dad for for me and it showed normally my you know things show on your body But when it starts affecting your health in a way that is different than just I'm overweight. So before I would be a high weight, but it didn't affect my my numbers or my blood pressure or any of that. But looking at that at that moment, it really scared me. And I went to see his doctor because of it, you know, and I was out of state. So I had to kind of talk my way into, you know... I know you're not my doctor, but I need to be seen. I'm nervous about this. So I ended up, you know, I was trying Weight Watchers again because that was just kind of my fallback. I'll try Weight Watchers. And in January, my sister was able to get the vaccine earlier than most people because she worked in a OU health system. And then my dad had gotten the vaccine and while I s- still hadn't had the vaccine, I was very much in a bubble to protect him. And, but she was able to start coming over.
0: We felt like, okay. It was safe to get the family together and have some help in there.
1: Yeah. And I needed help. I was more broken than I've ever been. And I just needed help. So she came over and, you know, I would cook on the weekends, of course, because what else are you going to do? And she said something one day like, you know, I just opened my window and she start and i had never heard her say anything like that before and so the conversation it was january 30th it was a sunday she basically talks to me and tells me about you know the button that she presses that opens and on her app to you know start and stop a fast and she tells me about your Facebook group, which was active at that time. It still was as of then, not for long, but <laughs> yes. So she tells me about that. And so immediately she sent me the invite to join the Facebook group. And she was like, you know, she showed me the clean fast chart, everything I had to do if I was going to join the group, which I hadn't read the book yet, but I immediately downloaded. We gotten very good at, you know, doing audio books and downloading books online. So, and I was Working with the library to have holds, and I go and pick up my books on hold immediately. All of that was in my cart, and that night it was a Sunday. I mean, who starts a diet at that time thinking it's a diet? Who starts something? different on a Sunday. I know, right? You got to wait till Monday or after the whatever. Yep. But it was just like, yes, once I stopped eating, I said, I can do this. Yeah. My window is closed. Yeah. I hit start fast. And from then on, I've not been perfect.
0: There's no perfection required.
1: I'm coming up on two years. But from then on, I've never let go of the start and the stop of the app. And I just kind of picked it up. And that was my sister, Becky. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Becky. She was the one who helped me. How long had she been doing it? How did she find it? I'm not quite sure. She had bariatric surgery around the time I lost all of my weight. She had lost lost all of her weight. We did it in different ways, but she was able to maintain better control than I was because of the you know, she just can't eat very much. So her IF journey is different than mine, but it definitely paired well with the bariatric surgery for her. But I honestly don't know how she learned about it. But I'm so grateful. Oh, I'm grateful too. Thank
0: you, Becky. So when you started, you got out that timer and you started your fast. What what did you do when you when you first started? Like what How did you ease in or what did you do?
1: Well, she, knowing that I'm a type A personality and I go all in, she was immediately like, don't do too much, you know? And I'm like, I'll be fine, you know? What I found is 18 hours was nothing for me to start out. And I was very quickly, I think I started at maybe 16 for a day or two. And then it was just 18, 18, six. And that just was honestly too easy as well. I could find myself going very, without working at it to 20, even to 24. And she was even worried about that with me. You know, we're part of a circle on this app so she could see my my. Buttons. Is it the
0: Life app? Is that the yes. one that has the fasting circles? Yes.
1: Yes. So she had me as part of her circle. So she would comment, oh, I see you went 24. And I'm like, yeah, I did, <laughs> you know, and so I kind of, she was definitely worried. My husband was worried. He had conversations with me at the beginning and I just felt like it was very natural. You know, 24 wasn't a big deal, but I kind of found that 20 was a good time and then having a four hour window and doing the OMAD approach and OMAD within the four hours of it of it being you know having something to open and then a meal, and then a nice way to wrap up because that idea of a dessert and something sweet has never left me. It's just part of me.
0: I still do too. last night, I had some a little bowl of cereal, Ezekiel cereal, it was like a little almond cereal, but a little just a little bit of sweetness there.
1: Or a lot of sweetness, but yeah, I absolutely needed sweetness. I don't need a lot. I
0: just, I like to have a little, whether it's a little bit of dates or a daily harvest smoothie. Last night, like I said, Ezekiel cereal that just hit that spot. But I get it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
1: No. And I think part of the journey of my life is recognizing that I'm better when I do have that, especially with the binge eating disorder with me. I really try not to restrict items. And, you know, so if I need something, I just, I plan it and I put it in my window. That was something I could do. That's where I have kind of helped to cure some of my binge behavior. By delaying it, sometimes you avoid the binge because yes, I'm going to have that item, but I'm planning to have it. And so maybe the emotions you were feeling where you wanted to just binge on it by the time you actually do have that food in your window it's less likely to spur the binge. That
0: makes a whole lot of sense.
1: By just saying, I will
0: have this, it will be in my window, I will wait. And then you get there and you no longer have the urge to binge.
1: Yeah, you just kind of, you have it, but you have control over it that you wouldn't have had if you'd had it in the moment where it was more of an emotional desire.
0: I love that. So what did your therapist think when you said, I'm doing intermittent fasting now?
1: Well, you know, when I was in Oklahoma, I didn't get to meet with her. So I had a, you know, a two-year time period of not seeing her. My father passed away in the summer, June, July of what, 2021.
0: I'm sorry. It's been a hard few years for you.
1: Well, and, you know, yes. And yet when I came back, because, you know, I started... The fasting in January. He passed away in the summer. We knew I was going to be coming back in August, whether we were planning on my dad coming with me, but we knew something had to change. The divided household was just excruciating for the kids, for all of us. We knew something was going to change. So I was planning on being back in August and all of my friends were looking forward to me coming back and seeing me, which I did. But of course, my father had passed away and I had to, you know, we worked on the house and selling everything. And so when I come back and they see me, they're all like, you know, expecting basically for me to look like a bomb had gone off. And I looked the opposite. So even through something as excruciating as I went through, I was able to come out feeling more... Myself than I had in a long time. You know, I think the pandemic gave us all this perspective of what was important. And intermittent fasting just went with that because I had seen my dad. He was on dialysis, not because he had been diabetic or overweight. He had a kidney, acute kidney problem. But Going with him to his dialysis treatments, first of all, I administered it at home for him for a while, then he switched over to the center. And just going in and seeing people who obviously were diabetic and had amputations or just struggled with weight, and this was the reason they were now on dialysis, I did not ever want that for myself. And when you live with someone who is chronically ill, you know, health is all that we have in life. You know,
0: yeah, that is 100% becomes your why. You know, it might start off because you have those size sixes in the other closet that you would like to fit back in because that was nice. And you felt good when your body was that size and you want to fit in those clothes again. But when you see a chronic health condition and you see people who are not able to care for themselves, you do not want that for yourself.
1: And it was one of the last things my dad said to me. He said, you know, take care of yourself. And I said, I've been trying to do that, dad, you know, and I I very much in honor of him wanted to be able to take control. And I was well on my way by the time he was saying that to me. Around the time he passed away, I was in the 180s again, which was that point where I could get to with Weight Watchers, but was never able to go any lower. So I was doing well, but I didn't... I had every confidence I was going to keep going lower. But him saying that to me was has something that's always stuck with me and it's like, yes, you know, I I didn't want to say watching you was my whole reason. I can say my why was that I needed to have a body that would serve me so that I could take care of the people who needed me in their lives. And so I had so much to do with him and the house and the yard. I needed to be able to do that and be healthy. And so I just needed my body to be the body that could allow me to do that. And now it's, you know, taking care of my children and my husband and and then more and and that my body will serve me to do the all the things I want to do in my and life. And now that
0: we're in our fifties You know, and and looking at at our our parents' generation and realizing we don't want to struggle 20 years from now, 30 years from now. We want to be the healthiest we can be now so that we are healthy then. It's such a, a, a powerful motivation.
1: And my parents were young. My mom died at 68. My dad was 74 very young. And, you know, I need to be here. We have young children because we married later in life. Our youngest children are 11 and nine, and I'm 51. I need to be Bless here. Bless you. Yes. I need to be here a long time. <laughs> oh, because, you know, at 53, mine are in their 20s. So. <laughs> and I do. I have a 23 year old, 24 year old. So I have that as well. But we started over. And I need to be able to be a mom to young children. And, you know, a lot of their concerns came up through everything they had seen. They were worried about if they would lose us. And I had to reassure them (laughs) that, you know, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because they kind of noticed that I was fasting. I had gone quickly from that one meal a day of 24 To, I started using alternate day fasting. This podcast is supported by FedEx.
0: FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
2: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible
1: And of course, my sister knew I was probably going to head that way. That's probably why she was saying, you know, but I I did. I used alternate day fasting for a full five months to maybe six to lose the majority of my weight. Okay. So your body really responded well to that. It did. I mean, the results were amazing with alternate day fasting. That And one thing I loved about alternate day fasting, there were several things I really enjoyed was... My addiction to weighing myself was helped out with alternate day fasting because if I weighed myself after an up day, I was going to be up. And when I weighed myself after a down day, I was down. And so... I don't deal well with seeing huge fluctuations like that, so I made a rule that I only would weigh after a down day.
0: I did the same exact thing when I right after I read the obesity code in 2016 and decided I was going to do alternate daily fasting because that's what he talked about in the in the appendix, I only weighed after down days. It really helped me a lot not to see those fluctuations. Well,
1: and then you're only I was only weighing three days a week at the most. Because on that other day, I would do OMAD. So I would do, you know, up, down, up, down, up, down, OMAD. And then, you know, up, down, up, down, up, down. And so just only weighing three times when I was the person who would weigh three or four times a day. I used to do that too. Like, I I know that
0: when I would get on the scale before I went to bed, and then in the morning, I would always lose two pounds overnight while I was sleeping.
1: I was like predicting my morning weight I'm like well if you know if my weight this now it's up two pounds but this weight tells me that by morning I'll have lost you know, some weight.
0: Exactly. Right. With Me craziness. too. Craziness. And we cannot lose two pounds of fat overnight. That's impossible. But we, we still, those scale games were, were in my head. It's so freeing not to have been on the scale for years now, but.
1: And then if, what helped too is if there were a down day where I was particular, a morning following a down day where I was particularly busy, then I might forget to weigh and I'd already opened my window And so I wasn't going to go weigh after starting to eat. After anything across my lips, I was not getting on a No, not even
0: like a sip of water.
1: (laughs) So that might make it two days a week I was weighing instead of three. And eventually it became, you know, once a week. And so that was helpful in me not obsessing over the scale or just not obsessing in general about the weight and looking more at the trend. So ADF was helpful in that way. It was also helpful in... Taking some of the food pressure off with OMAD, I needed an amazing meal every single day. <laughs> and that's a lot of work. Well, that's true. It is. <laughs> so with, with my alternate day fasting, I only had to do that every other day.
0: Right. So you did the full fast version of the down
1: day. For five or six months, I did the full fast version. And I mean, the weight really came off quickly. And that's where I lost the majority. And I found myself at about from having gone from 260 down to 185, 180 around that time of coming back home in August of 21. So, I mean, that's a lot of weight. That's like 80 pounds of weight to from January until then. And when I came home and just, you know, processing the loss of my father and, and coming back to a home that didn't quite feel like home, making another adjustment and trying to fit our lives back together again, I decided I didn't wanna keep doing true ADF. And I used the modified alternate day fasting. The 500 calorie down day. Yes, I started with the 500 calorie down day and I actually felt like I felt better. I just wasn't feeling as much energy as I wanted. And I had kind of stalled with ADF, whether it was that I wasn't doing it as perfectly because I was, you know, in transition and going through a lot of grief and some comfort And you were also eating. kind of at
0: a set point,
1: I bet. 180 sounds like a place your body would stick there. Yeah. Yes. And so I was thinking, oh no, I'm stuck again. You know, here I am. I could always get down to the 180s and I can't go any further. So I was scared to try the modified Alternate day fasting. I almost part of me wanted to do more. Right. Well, because it sounds insane. You're like, well, I'm doing a full
0: fast. How will eating 500 calories on the down day make me lose more if
1: I'm eating more? I know. But, but it worked. It broke my plateau.
0: I love it. And I swear, I've never been able to find this again. I don't know where I saw it. Did I dream it? Did I make it up? But I swear, somewhere, somewhere, I saw a study where they compared 500 calorie down days to full fast down days, and the people doing the 500 calorie down day lost a little bit more weight. I have never been able to find that again. Uh, you know, did I just invent it or dream it or imagine it? I don't know, but that you were losing weight, great with the 500 calorie down days.
1: And I think you mentioning that on one of your podcasts, whether it was with Melanie or something. Well, I know I saw it somewhere, but I've never been able to find it again. <laughs> I think that's what gave me the courage to try it—is hearing you say that. And so I put that 500 calories in because I was like, you know, I'm not feeling well. I'm not losing anything right now on alternate day fasting. And it had gone on for three or four weeks. It was enough that I felt like it was a plateau. And, but I mostly I wasn't feeling well. And then putting in the 500 calories and I would only eat within a 30 minute time frame. That was what I think helped me continue to lose. It was slow, about five pounds a month, but I kept losing. I was so thrilled with it. And I was just living life. I was back home. Things were opening up in my world again. And I don't know if things ever really had closed down here, but for me, they had because I was right, trying you to were protect with your dad. dad. Yeah. Yes. So I came home and Slowly, our world was starting to open. I was seeing a few friends here and there, and you know, I was living life. I wanted to go out and have great food on a patio somewhere, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah, it had to be a patio at first. I get it. You no. know, I slowly <laughs> but- until it was just like, ah, oh, you know, I'm completely back. But yeah, I just wanted to enjoy life. I want to enjoy food, and the 500 meal also helped me. I could go out on any day because I could, I could find something on a menu that would hit the 500 calories and I could make it work. I wasn't necessarily set on, it didn't have to be right in the middle, but generally around the 20 to 24 hour mark is when I would have that 30 you know, minute type of time eating with that 500 calorie. And that got me down to the 150s. It was a high 150s, but it got me into that range. And by my one-year fast anniversary, I had lost 100 pounds, you know, because all I had to get to was 160. So I was hovering in the 180, 158 range, 156 range. And I also want to say that as I was losing weight, because I was coming home very infrequently when I was with my dad, if I could get away for three or four days and my sister would take care of him, I would come home. And of course, I wanted to try on clothing and I'm here, I'm trying on clothing and I'm like, whatever I'm weighing is not matching that clothing size. And it's the
0: clothing that you had from before. So you know it's not like new vanity sizing. But you remember what you weighed the last time you wore it. And you were fitting into it at a higher weights than you did before, right? Yes. yes. That's
1: body recomposition in action. Because you were was losing happening. fat
0: and maintaining muscle. Yeah.
1: That was consistent throughout my entire losing process. So I would come home and i put on a pair of size 14 and be like, there's no way I should be wearing these. At At this this weight, weight, I was at
0: 18 last time or
1: something. Yes, but I am. And that was amazing to me throughout. It's been about a 15 to 20 pound difference. And it's never changed. So I am still holding true to that, where I weigh more wearing a size six Than I did when I lost all that weight in 2009. And they're the same size sixes that you had then. They're the same pants. I have not had to purchase hardly anything new. I just, (laughs) you know, pulled out my wardrobe and jeans are jeans and and I put them on. And yeah, and I even fit into a size four yesterday. Wow. Because I was trying on some for my daughter. I was like, well, you know, if if I can wear them, she can wear them. And, you know, how many 51-year-olds who've struggled like I have can say, you know, I can fit into a size four, size six. I What a great feeling. Yeah, absolutely amazing. But the, the modified ADF I've, I continued with, but we have done so much traveling this year in preparation for departing the country that we have really done a lot of there's been a lot of special occasions, a lot of splurging, a lot of eating, and I've gone back to ADF when I come home in order to mitigate the effects, I guess, or use it as a tool. It's not my favorite tool. It's not my favorite thing. There's things I you love. like. You like one meal a day. I really yeah. do. I love, I love the up days because I love breakfast and I love eating the two meals, and I'm an early window person. I eat breakfast. Around nine thirty ish or ten and then I'll have a second meal. And that's one thing with ADF is I really on my update I try to follow it's not a full window for eight or ten or twelve hours, whatever it needs to be. I need time to get two meals in with no snacking in between. That makes sense. Time restricted eating.
0: It's just longer. Yes. And not you're not grazing the whole time.
1: No. If I graze the whole time, it's not an up day. It's more of a binge day. I get that. Yeah.
0: And that's the thing. There's no one right way to structure an up day as long as it's up. Grazing is not wrong if that's what works for someone, but you know that that is not what works for you. So that would be wrong for you.
1: And I like to think of it in more scientific terms as well to take away some of the emotions. If I think I'm not necessarily eating, I'm choosing to spike my insulin now. I'm choosing to let my body have an insulin, a response to the food. And then I want to give my body time to lower the insulin before I have another meal instead of having it high for longer periods of time during the day. So that's how I structure my update. I think that's
0: that's probably really great you know, that there's a graph Jason Fung has in, I don't know, is it in the obesity code or is it on a blog post? I can't remember. But it shows people how they used to eat when they ate three meals a day with no snacking and how, how it would go up and then back down and then between the meals and then up and then back down between the meals. And that was a more natural way of living versus snacking, 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 snacking where we never give it a rest. So the old way of eating three meals a day with no snacking worked for a lot of people because they were not constantly spiking everything.
1: And that worked for me in Argentina. I really believe that was what was my first time with intermittent fasting in a way.
0: Well, and here we're not just spiking with an actual snack. It might be a latte or a Diet Coke or whatever. Where All those beverages play such a role. We are almost out of time, which I can't believe. But what would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting? Or what do you wish you knew when you first started?
1: I think I would tell them to, first of all, be consistent. Whatever you decide to do, don't overcomplicate it. Don't overthink it but be consistent with whatever plan that is and knowing that that plan is going to change. <laughs> that plan is not going to stay the same because it certainly hasn't for me, but whatever it is you choose to do, try to be consistent with that. And even when we're out on um, having our travels and our holidays, I always try to have some kind of window <laughs> of eating and some kind of window of fasting. And I just do the best I can. But if I can, and then when I come back home, if I can have fall back into a consistent pattern, that's helpful to me. And then just read, learn, watch, listen as much as you can, but don't overcomplicate it. I think we get- its true. We do. We
0: do overcomplicate things sometimes. But the, the key really is just don't stop. You didn't stop. You never stopped. And, and you use the tools in the toolbox when it feels right. ADF with full fast felt like too much. Mm, try the down day meal. Oh, I'm tired of that. I want to eat every day. Oh, one meal a day. You can adjust it on vacation, longer windows when you're back home, back to shorter. And it just, it's just the, the toolbox is full of tools.
1: Yeah. And I'm still, I mean, I haven't figured is, I don't know that there is a figuring it out. I don't think I will ever arrive. I think it will always be my journey, but I think going back to something consistent and telling myself to find a pattern and to bring my anxiety down and just know that I can fall back on the science of intermittent fasting, that calmness, it's freeing. I Truly, IF has we been complete freedom from eating issues for me.
0: I love that. Well, Robin, thank you so much for telling your story today. And good luck on the move to Spain. I want to hear all about it. Update me.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at dot com, and I'll add you to the lineup. That's g-i-n at intermittentfastingstories.com. intermittent fasting stories is edited mixed and mastered by resonate recordings to learn more visit them at resonaterecordings.com or email them at hello at resonate recordings.com intermittent fasting stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast